0: Well, it's uh, been quite a year so far. I'll let you. Uh, uh, I've tried to avoid the news as much as I possibly can since uh, 2020, and and the reason for that is as it was uh, the weight of this world was just a little bit too much for my heart to bear, and I was noticing that I was kind of getting really down. Uh, It it begins on the inside, you know, where I just would kind of feel kind of like sad, and then kind of angry at the brokenness of this world, and then it would affect like you could see it on my shoulders, and they would kind of hunch just a little bit, and then it kind of started sagging my face down, and I would get a frown, which is not a normal place for me to be, and I was feeling just grumpy, and uh, and it was just like the weight of the world was just getting so crushing, and when you're feeling crushed, you're not a happy person, and so. Uh, when somebody has uh, a problem or something like this, the last thing you want to do is be around that person because you can't bear their weight too, so you get kind of isolated and nasty. And uh, I was finding that that was not a good place for me to go. Uh, so uh, I started kind of distancing myself away from, you know, all of that. But I realized, and I, I think it's a good thing to stay away from social media and the news. That's actually been a good move for me, but... But the reality is is that life is still a heavy place. This world has got problems. Um, It's not like just not hearing people talk about them all the time doesn't make them go away. In fact, uh, there is a heaviness in this world and in this life. I don't know if you've experienced that, uh, but uh, it's certainly there. And there are times, I think, that it's not so much when the weight of the world falls on us that's so bad, but when it hits the people that we love, uh, the people that we care about, and we feel... Uh, man, this world is too big for me. And, uh, and so what I found is um, in the midst of this, well-meaning Christians would give me these, these nice uh, sayings, these things that were kind of nice platitudes that because they wanted to help, but instead they didn't help, they would say things to me like this, well, it's okay, Aaron, God's not going to give you more than you can handle baloney. Um, I already have more than I can handle, so what's next? No. God said he's not going to give me more temptation than I can handle without sinning. Uh, that's a good thing. But there was a weight. There was a heaviness. And what I want to bring us back to today is something where I've kind of had to come back to, not just kind of, I've had to come back to this truth we're we talking about today, something that has allowed me to have a different type of courage and joy in the midst of this world. If I forget this truth, what we're going to talk about today, I find myself starting to look like this. Right. And I find myself starting to become uh, more self-centered because I'm thinking about, man, I only have enough energy to barely to survive myself. I'm not going to be able to take on, the, you know, anybody else's. How am I care for them if I can't even take care of myself? But when I remember the things that we're going to be talking about today, stuff changes. There is a, there's a different way of living, and it's not just a mindset, it's an absolute truth that God invites us to stand in. And when we stand in that, there is power, and there is joy, and there is purpose. So I'm super excited to get into God's Word with you today and talk about some amazing thing that we have a reason to have an incredible amount of hope and courage. And that brings me to our anchor verse, of course, for our series, and I hope that you've been memorizing this. Psalm 31, 24, it says, Be strong and take heart, all you who hope hope in the Lord. And so if you wouldn't mind, just say it with me once because there is some power in this, this, this truth of God's words. Here we go. Three, two, one. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Psalm 31, 24. Okay. That's powerful, isn't it? I put that, and I say me, Caleb, put that on your connection card for you. It's perforated. Take it with you because you're going to need this because there are difficult things in this life that you're going to feel weak and you're going to feel overcome and you're going to not have courage and you're not going to feel like you have strength. But to remind you of this, there's a truth in there, there's a word there, we have to put our hope somewhere and it's not in you and it's certainly not in your circumstances. If we put our hope in the Lord, it's not just a platitude. This is a powerful passage of God's word that unlocks our ability to be overcomers. So let me encourage you, take some time this week and remind yourself, wake up in the morning and say, God, thank you that I can put my hope in you. I want to be strong and I want to have your courage for whatever you have for me today because his grace for you today is exactly what you're going to need today. So there's a powerful passage for you. Now that you have that, let's go into the rest of God's word. Let's go into John chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn them there. I'm going to have... The scripture on screen, but you can't take notes up there, so if you have your Bible, it's pretty handy. Now, in John 14, it's the same thing we were talking about last Sunday as we had our Easter service. I remember, I brought us back to the time where Jesus was having his, the Last Supper, the evening uh, right before the crucifixion, right before he was going to die. He was telling his disciples, uh, listen, guys, I'm going to be killed here pretty soon, and it's going to be really rough for you, right? But then he tells them, hey, guys, take heart, right? Uh, be courageous. And he gives them two reasons to encourage them in the midst of that really heavy news that he was going to die. Now that's, that's pretty heavy stuff. And the first one is he said, listen guys, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. We talked about that last week. If you like to remind yourself how great heaven is, we'll go back to last week's message. But today he has this different reason that he gives us to also have courage. In verse 15 through 26, it reads like this. He says, if you love me, On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then Judas, but not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will come, my Father will love them, and we will come to them, and we'll make our home with them. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And all of this I have spoken while I'm still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, that's a, a, an incredible passage. And there are two really important themes I hope that you saw as Jesus was, was talking. The first one has, says, uh, love equals obedience. You can't say you love God if you don't actually do what he says. That's, that's the very first thing. He says, if you love me, you're going to obey me many, many times in there. He's like, y- your love has got to be more than just a, a fluttery heartbeat type thing. It's not just a feeling. It's, it's born out in how we treat e- how you treat me, how you act. But the second thing is, he says, the Holy Spirit. That's the second theme in there. And, and they're tied together. If you love me, you keep my, my commands, and guess what? Everyone who loves me gets my Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is wonderful. Jesus is comforting his disciples with this truth before his crucifixion, and if you think about it, what allows lousy time to tell his disciples, we would think from a human perspective, uh, obey me? Why? Because he's going to die at the hands of the Romans. You're like, well, you're commands didn't seem to get you very far, Jesus. You're going to be betrayed by one of your own. You're going to be executed publicly. And Jesus says, but that's not the end. There's something bigger. And if I die, I'm going to send an advocate to you, all right? And this is going to be good news for you. And if you love me, then recognize the kingdom is far beyond your heavy, heavy circumstance that you're going to go through. And so we, we say that he's, he's comforting him with this, He's going to be taken away, but that's okay, because when he goes, he's going to be able to send to them the Holy Spirit. And why is that important? Well, the first thing that we see in there is that God's Holy Spirit gives us God's presence. One of the most terrifying things for the disciples is that Jesus was going to be taken away from them. He is the Messiah. He had done all of the miracles. He is unstoppable. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him raise people from the dead. He saw them feed people when it was impossible. He could walk on water. He could calm storms. He could do anything. I mean, anything. And to lose that sense of security, to have the presence of Jesus, is a little terrifying because now it was not Jesus versus the world, and they got to be with Jesus. It would feel very much like now it was them versus the world, and Jesus had already lost. That could be terrifying. But Jesus reminds them, he says, listen, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to die. You're not going to see me for a little while. Then you're going to see me. But I'm still going to be with you. I'm going to be very, very real and present. I mean, the apostles could be, have lost heart, and I think for a few days they did. Uh, they said to themselves, we can't do this, right? They were huddled together in the upper room, and they were terrified of the Romans or anybody else, the Jewish leaders who would find them maybe and crucify them too. They were terrified of everything. And they would think, man, if, if only Jesus was here, we would be fine. And I imagine if you're like me, you felt that way from time to time in the midst of your circumstances. You're like, well, yeah, it was so much easier for the apostles. They could actually see Jesus and have, share a fish with him, right? And they would have a talk with him. I mean, Jesus is right there. So if you cut your finger, you're like, hey, Jesus, you heal this, please, right? It's easier when you see the Lord if God is with us. And Jesus reminds us and he gives his disciples an amazing truth that no one throughout history ever had this privilege of That the Holy Spirit wouldn't just come to be around them, it would be in them. God would always be present physically with them, never leave them nor forsake them. That God is here. Now let that sit on you for a moment and think about how profound this is because we take it for granted because we've been Christians for a long time, but... This wasn't the case for, right? Before Jesus had died and rose again, there were no Christians. In fact, the Jewish people were God had raised up, right? And to explain all these things, where did they have to go to make sacrifice, to be close to God? The temple. And they didn't have cars, it was a long walk. And if you wanted to, to be able to, if you wanted to, to go before Him, you'd have to go and be purified, and you'd do all these things, right? You'd have to go to the mikvah, go back, you make a climb up the steps, and be in God's presence, and then you know pray and hope that God would hear you. Even today, we came back from Israel not very long ago with some folks from the church, and, and, and it broke my heart because we went to this place that it's called the, the Western Wall, like, or known as the Wailing Wall. And there are uh, Jewish believers that come from all over, and they stand there and they stick prayers into a rock wall because it's the closest place they can possibly get to to where the temple once stood. Hoping that by shoving their prayers, there's words just a little closer that maybe God would hear. But guess what? God is here. never leaves us. And we, we take for granted this amazing truth There is not a dark night. There is not a a place that I can go that God is not absolutely present with me. There's not a time nor space nor anywhere that I could go that he is not there fully. And it's not just like, well, Jesus standing next to me. Because when Jesus was standing next to him, Jesus was also, he's fully man, right? And he was healing this person and then that person and then that person. But now we have God's Holy Spirit within us. He's fully aware and fully present at all times. And, and as, as we sang that song today, the very same God of the old covenant is the very same God that we have today, but now he is with us. think at times that we feel like our troubles are so much bigger than us because they are. But I want you to hear this, church, that, that while God will, will certainly allow us to face challenges that are bigger than we are, he will never f- allow us to face challenges that are bigger than him. He will never leave you. And he carries us through the impossible. Things that you, you have no concept how we will make it through it. God is the one who carries. Because God is there. In John uh, chapter 14, uh, verses 15 through 17, it says here, If you love me, you'll keep my commands. I'll ask the Father. And he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. That's the spirit of truth. Right? He's your advocate. You know what an advocate is? It's someone who, who gives you public support. Right? It's somebody who, who who takes your cause, right, and, and is on your side. If you go to, to court, sometimes you want to have an advocate, kind of be your lawyer, right? He's going to advocate your good, your cause. But God himself, you, you don't even have an angel assigned to you, right, that says this angel will somehow be your advocate. You have God himself is your advocate. Think about that. And this is, he's there to help you. Do you know that God, the Holy Spirit, didn't just reside within you so that way he could, you know, monitor you and to see every time you did something wrong so he could give you a little zap that's not why he's there? That God, the Holy Spirit, has come to be a helper, to to help us to be faithful, to help us to to overcome the difficulties of the world, to help us to build God's kingdom and to do the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. You're not on your own. You don't just have like a, like a, a saint that's up there in heaven that God assigned to you that said, okay, uh, when you need help, just talk to me and I'll, I'll give you some counsel. You have God himself who is helping you, giving you the power and the ability to handle what you have, what was, ever is before you. This is the nature of God's holy. This is good news because it didn't have to be this way. I mean, Jesus could have said, you know what, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, you know, and he's going to kind of monitor you and you had better be good. And, and you could talk to him and make your requests, and if he thinks it's important, he might help you, whatever. No, the, the Spirit's going to help you. He's, he's your companion. He's there with you, and he's there t- as, as on your side. That's huge. Do you know that God is so much more faithful to you than you are to him? That God loves you so much more than, than we love him? That God is, is he's more dedicated to your good than you will ever be? It's not a fair 50-50 thing. God has demonstrated that true love is 100%, 100%. He is all in. You're not alone. And I don't know what you're facing right now, but if you are in Christ, let me tell you and remind you, you are not facing this alone. You're not even just facing it with, with an angel or an army from heaven. You're facing it with God Almighty in you, being your helper and advocate. God knows you. He is with you he's in you. That's pretty good news. And and more than that, you'll notice that he says here, this same God has revealed himself as what? The Spirit of truth. Which brings to the second thing that the Holy Spirit gives us, is the Holy Spirit gives us truth. Now, in in verse 6, right, earlier on, we talked about this last week, when Jesus said, I'm going to give you heaven, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and you know where I'm going, and Thomas said, well, how do we know where you're going, right? We don't even know where, you're, how can we get there? We don't know where you're going, and Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except for me. Jesus reminds us that he is the truth, and now Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is also the truth. He is the spirit of truth. He is the same. It's the same God. That's amazing. And what is truth? Well, truth is whatever corresponds to reality. Whatever really is and reflects that accurately, that's what truth is. And truth is really helpful then. Right? If we want to make good decisions, we have to base them on actually what's happening, not what we think might be happening, but actually what's there. And the more we walk in ignorance, the more that we walk at our own you know, misconceptions or bias, the worse decisions we make. I was uh, uh, talking with someone this morning, and they said, were telling me an example of when they, were, uh, they had a car problem. They were changing out their oil, felt underneath the, the car, and they felt the thing to drain the oil out, and they drained the oil, right? And, and then uh, they plugged that back up, put new oil in it, it's going to change the car, and then started driving it, and then blew out the transmission because it wasn't really the oil they drained. Guess what it was? Transmission. They drained their transmission fluid. And uh, then they had twice as much oil in the engine and not any transmission fluid, and it blew the crowd. Now, they thought they were doing what was right, but they weren't. In truth, they were doing something dangerous. How many times in our own life do people do this? We do what's right in our own eyes, this is why the scripture says there is a way that seems right to God, but the end there is death. Like, we do things blindly, we do what we think is best, but we don't always live by truth, and when we don't live by truth, it's not necessarily God's punishment, it's just the consequence of of ignorance, and bad things happen. And they happen in all kinds of ways. I mean, there are times that we, in ignorance, try to fix relationships, there are in ignorance that we've made investments, or we've tried to do things with our money, and it just didn't turn out well. In ignorance, people have done some crazy things with their health, right? I mean... For some time i mean there was even like people were the companies were saying that like tobacco was a health product that wasn't good right or methamphetamines or things like that like as people we made some bad decisions how to to deal with health for in times we would cut people open make them bleed for a while trying to balance out the four different elements within them and thinking this is going to make you better it didn't why we didn't have truth Isn't it amazing that the God who resides in you is not the God who says, well, I'm just going to tell you the way that I I want things done. He's the God who reveals things as they actually are, which is why you can trust the Holy Spirit when he directs you. Because he knows more than you know. In fact, he knows everything. And he reveals it accurately. God doesn't make mistakes. He is the spirit of truth. He corresponds to himself because God is self-existent. He is the ultimate reality, and he reveals the world as it really is. That's why we can trust him more than we could trust ourselves. And it's really cool if you read this passage even further. He talks to the disciples, and he says, and the spirit of truth is going to guide them in that truth so that he would remind them of everything that Jesus had taught and said. That was a promise to the apostles so they could write the gospels. That's how we know the Bible is true. God said the Holy Spirit will inspire you. So when you read these things and whoever reads them, they're going to understand. This is not just a flawed recollection of things that happened decades before. This is what actually took place. That's why 2 Timothy says all Scripture is inspired or breathed by God. That's why it's useful for all kinds of things like teaching and correcting and training and righteousness and all of those wonderful things. That, that we're not left alone. God has given us truth to be able to navigate and live our lives within what a gift what an amazing thing that god didn't just say go out and figure it out but he gives us absolute truth and the holy spirit of truth dwells within you he's not going to lead you astray and because of that we also see that the holy spirit doesn't just give us truth he gives us power you see, there is power in God's presence. That's why the apostles were so upset when Jesus was killed, because where's God? You'd feel that absence. It's why I think just psychologically we'll feel a whole lot better when we see God on the throne in heaven, right? We're dwelling with him. He's right there. There's the presence of God. There's the, like we, it, it, we see that, and it's going to feel more tangible. But guess what? That very same God is already dwelling with us. He's already there. And he's just as powerful it's not like God has got to make like a, a request to be, able to, to be able to maybe use some of heaven's resources to get his will done. God is, is all powerful all the time. He, he knows what to do. He's able to help. And if he's in you and with you and he's your advocate, I will tell you, you can trust him that whatever you're going through, whatever trial he's allowing you to face, if you have submitted it to him, right, you love him, you're following his commands, you're, you're, you're saying, God, I'm, I'm seeking you first, your kingdom, righteous all so You're not working against him, but you're working with God's Holy Spirit. Guess what? He's using whatever that brokenness is on your behalf. It's shaping you, but he's also going to help you become the overcomer. There is power in the Holy Spirit. There is power in God's presence. There is power in truth as well, isn't there? Is it when we remind ourselves of these things? I was having a conversation with a really dear friend the, uh, this past week, and we were talking about you know, the, the, the economy and things and you know, the, the perils of the U.S. dollar and all those things that are happening, and I could see fear on his face, right? Just like terror, like what are we going to do? And we just had that moment as we had that like, that shared, like, eh, right? But then we remind ourselves, like, isn't God with us? When is it that we would ever put our trust in an economy? How silly. Or in a politician, or, 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 in a, or uh, we would put our trust in money. How foolish. God can make coins come out of fish. Right? This is not a problem for him. And I've seen it proved in my life. For years, I should not have been able to pay my bills and to eat and to take care of my son. It should have been impossible by the numbers. Impossible. And yet, I never missed a meal, never missed a house payment. My kid always had clothes, praise God. always had a car, had a job. God was my provider. And there were many times that I was tempted to walk away from him and try to take care of myself and my beautiful, wonderful, intelligent, faithful wife. Always, she would say to me, Aaron, if we, if we leave God, what else do we have? Like, we need him. And so we learned how to trust him. And when we started to trust him, we stopped fearing things. And there is a power in life when you don't fear life. I don't know how you're going to make it through your current trials. I know that I'm talking to the God who has the ability to help you. And he's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. If you're his, this is what we need to do. Love him and follow what he tells you to do. He'll lead you out. Because there's power in the Holy Spirit. He has the ability to make sure you don't get dropped. Now, Acts 1.8 talks about the power of God. This is uh, it later on after Jesus raises from the dead. Okay, he, he comes back and he spends some time with the disciples, 40 days. And at first, he brings them up to Galilee, to this little hill, and he says, guys, this is what I want you to do. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, right? So I, I'm, I'm big boss now, so this is what I'm going to tell you to do. Go make disciples of all the different kinds of peoples, right? Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey everything I've commanded them. Why? He wants them to love him, right? And he says this. And be sure of this, I will be with you you always, even to the end of the age. So this was a really great thing. So then later on, the disciples are thinking about how we're going to do this. Jesus takes them at the end of the 40 days back to Jerusalem. They're there to celebrate a a wonderful uh, holiday. holiday, right, called Pentecost, and there's Jews from all over, and they're back in the city, and the disciples meet Jesus, and he says, hey, come on a walk with me out to the Mount of Olives, which is not very far away. They go strolling up the Mount of Olives. It was a Sabbath day, so it was a Sabbath day walk, about a mile up the hill, not very far, and then he says to them this amazing thing. Uh, There, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what he tells them to do, right? So he tells them first before this, go back and wait Wait till you receive the Holy Spirit. But he says, but when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive power. And then you're going to be able to do exactly what I told you to do. But don't go about trying to do this until the Holy Spirit shows up. Right? Why? Because God has called us to an impossible task. Right? Why would God call us to a task that humans could, on, could, could do on their own? That would be a silly thing. What's the evidence to the world that God is with us? Plus, he wants his part. Right, we're partnered with God to do the impossible—to make disciples of Jesus all over the place, to help them fall in love with God, and to be able to obey Him, and, and to, to be able to grow up in that faithfulness. Right, to see dead sinners come to life in faith—that's that's beyond me. And to go all over the world, especially these twelve guys or eleven—that I mean that's pretty rough. And what does He say? You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Don't go it alone. This is important for us to remember because oftentimes as Christians, we take the Holy Spirit for granted and then we say, you know what, God, I see what you tell me to do in scripture, but I don't think you know what you're talking about because I forgot that you're the God of truth. And so what you're telling me to do seems very outdated and it's not working in my life. And I've been trying it and it doesn't seem like it's working. So I'm going to do things on my own. I'm going to do it my way, God. And if you want to help, fine, but I'm going to do it my way. And then what happens is then we fail and we get crushed and we're like, God, why did you fail me? No. You you can't take on this world on your own. You can't handle your life on your own. This world is deeply, bitterly, awfully broken, and it will crush you. But with the Holy Spirit, it's it's not a thing. Jesus has already overcome the world. And the Holy Spirit within you, that's a pretty powerful thing. So we wait for the Holy Spirit. Which For Christians, we don't have to wait for him to show up. He's already in us. But we have to wait for him to tell us to move. We go where he tells us to go. We do what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. That's where there's power. And guess what the apostles did? Well, right after Jesus said this, he ascends to heaven. <whistles> like, well, I didn't see that coming. Because he just said he'd be with us always. And now he's not with us. And he told us we have to go all over the world. Right? and they're looking up, and they're like, okay. And then these these two uh, angels show up wearing that white lightning clothes again. They're like, hey, Menahali, what are you doing standing in this cloud? They're like, Jesus, just right. I said, go back to Jerusalem. God told you what to do, and wait. And so they did, and they waited for an entire week, which would have been a really long time because, like, for us, waiting for Christmas, but they didn't know when Christmas was. They're just waiting. What's it going to be like when the Holy Spirit shows up? Is he like going to walk in like, here I am. What's it going to look like? I have no idea. And then we read on the day of Pentecost, the, all of a sudden there's this loud wind, like blows in the <laughs> goes in and then there's flames of fire over their heads and they start speaking the uh, in in languages they never studied because in pentecost there is christian or people jews from all over the world that spoke all kinds of different languages they start going out and they're telling people about jesus now they're doing what jesus told them to do they're starting to be witnesses and and then thousands of people in that city which was a very unchristian city right they were there and they heard the gospel and they, they say this, and said so when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in this one place, upper room, right? The sound of like a blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire on each other's heads. And then as all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, the Holy Spirit enabled them. That is amazing. I mean, think about, I took four years of Spanish and I can't even order a taco at, at, uh, at a restaurant. And, and here they are, These guys, who were older than I was at the time, and they had no training and were able to speak fluently. That's power. To do exactly what God had called them to do. I think when I read this, I'm reminded that the Holy Spirit is not a theological abstraction. He gives us real power to do real things in this real world. That's wonderful. You see, the Holy Spirit is is a person of God. He has a personality. he, He... works amongst us he's not like some arbitrary program of god that just kind of is out there doesn't care have compassion I mean, you can grieve the holy spirit you could bless the holy spirit you can work alongside the holy Spirit. he advocates on our behalf and the holy spirit is is uh, amazing A- and i want you to notice that that what happened here before we get to the rest of pentecost is that the power began when the holy spirit showed up there was no gospel message in in jerusalem before the Holy Spirit showed up and Jesus was there for 40 days and you didn't see thousands of people being baptized in the Lord when Jesus was there showing up and saying hey guys you killed me but I'm back right we didn't see the birth of the church yet when was the power for the church to begin when God the Holy Spirit showed up and then thousands on the first day and Peter begins and he stands up and he preaches to this very hostile crowd, the very crowd that shouted, Crucify him. He's standing before him and says, Hey guys, you are boneheaded and say, Crucify him to your, to your own Messiah. And that's a hard message. And, and when they heard this, the skeptical crowd, they were, they, were, they were cut to the heart. And they said this, uh, when the people heard this, they, they said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And in, in the rest of Scripture, what shall we do to be saved? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Get this, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. All who call upon the Lord our God. That's an amazing thing. Think about this. That's a promise for you because you're far off. They said, what must we do to be saved? And he takes it a step further. God's not just going to save you. He's going to empower you. He's going to bring you into his kingdom. He's going to equip you and empower you to carry out this great commission as well. 3,000 people came to faith that day. And that's Holy Spirit power. And you look in your life and you think, man, there are impossible things. Think about the apostles were thinking the day of Pentecost. We are 11 guys holed up in a room, terrified, waiting on we don't know what to do an impossible task that even Jesus didn't do. And then the Holy Spirit shows up in 3,000 in the most hostile Christian city, uh, to Christianity city in the entire world. 3,000 come to faith that very day. See, God will always do more through us than we can ever do on our own. Understand that. Your situation, your circumstances are not always what they appear. As a human, they may be impossible. But for God, nothing is impossible. So stand with God and wait for him to move. And sometimes it takes a while. The apostles had to wait 50 days. That's a long time of just waiting. And some of us wait for days and weeks and months and years and decades. But it doesn't mean that God is silent and doesn't mean he's not working. God oftentimes is at work in that time of waiting. But I want you to know this, that if you're not called to the impossible, if, you're, if your vision for your family or your life is not bigger than what you could take credit for. You're dreaming too small. Why be a Christian? God is with us. He's going to do something through you that's powerful. That's what he's called us to. And I get this too, that the Holy Spirit wasn't just for the apostles. It was amazing that God's Holy Spirit showed up and, and dwelled the 12. But what about the rest of us? These brand new Christians, they didn't even have to prove anything. He said, repent and be baptized. Everyone will be saved. And immediately God's Holy Spirit moves in what the same power of christ now dwells within these brand new believers who a month ago were out there shouting to kill jesus is it because they were so worthy that they got the holy spirit it was because their faith was so spectacular that god said well i'll bless you also with my holy spirit it was because they understood scripture so well that they that they received the holy spirit no they were ignorant of the new covenant I mean just barely got their fingers around it and the Holy Spirit the promise was for them and it's not just for them notice it's not just for them but for their children and also not just for their children but for all who are far off for us too that God's Holy Spirit is at work even now right here he's doing something if the, pro- the word of God didn't promise us this then it would be a foolish thing for me to even say that God would do this but he's promised himself to be, to indwell each one of us, not just the special few, not just the prophets or the apostles, but you. And who does he give the Holy Spirit to? To those who love God. That's it. That, that's the test. That's the thing. He's it, it, like, all who love God, that's who's going to get the Holy Spirit. And what is that Love. Well, Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commands. You're going to be loyal to me. Right? We talked about this uh, a lot this last year, about that's really being faithful, isn't it? To be loyal to God is to be faithful. That's the the fullest expression of faith. That's what God wants from you. He doesn't want for perfection. He could make you perfect. He's going to make you perfect. He's at work out of that. What God wants from you is your loyalty. He wants your fidelity, he wants you to say, God, I'm part of, I want what you have. I'm not going to do life according to my rules anymore. You're going to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm going I'm to follow you. I love you, and that's going to be born out in how I live. I'm going to actually be a faithful guy. And before we think God is like, just is a mean test of him to do, I think about me and my wife. Like, I'm going to say, if you love me, Amy, you're going to be faithful to me, right? That's going to be an evidence that you love me. But if you continue to go out and date other guys, that probably says you don't love me so much. And God says, if we love him, we'll be faithful to him. We're going to follow him. We're going to live life according to the rules of his home, his household, because he's worthy and he's truthful and he's good. But when we do that, as we love him, for all who love him, all who have been saved by God's grace through their faith, the Holy Spirit is yours. And God lives within you and he works within you. He is your advocate and he is your helper. That's an amazing thing. I say the world's a heavy place, but I want you to take heart because the Holy Spirit is here. Is the world still broken? Yeah, there's a reason why I kind of steer clear of the news a little bit still. Plus, I don't think they always tell me exactly what's happening anyhow, but regardless of that, even if they did, the world is broken. It's too big for me to handle on my own, but I know this, that God didn't call me to save the entire world. He called me to serve the people that he puts before me. He called me to be faithful in my life right now to the people that are around me. He called me to handle the crises and the problems and the pain and the brokenness that I face each day, and his grace will be enough. He's called me to be faithful here, and his power will be manifest in my life here. And so this world, it's... It's heavy. It's more than I can handle, but it's not more than he can handle. And God is with us. He's guiding me in truth. Never once has the Holy Spirit guided me astray. Right? And he'll tell me to do crazy things like, hey, Aaron, forgive this person. I'm like, I don't want to forgive that person. They're, they're going to abuse that. No, forgive them. Pray for this person. I don't want to pray for that person. They, they're kind of a stinker, Lord. I don't. Right? No, pray for them. And he sets me free in those things. Aaron, you know, I remember when, when he invited me into being faithful in our, in our giving, that was crazy to me. I was like, God, I can't even pay my own bills. How am I going to follow you in this? He's like, Aaron, just be faithful. And I started to, and he's, he, he carried me, right? That God is, gives me the power and ability to overcome in this life as I am faithful and I love him. So take heart. You're not alone. Your problems, they're not the end. In fact, it says in scripture that when we look back, on these things are going to seem like small and and, and just momentary problems in scope of what he's going to do for us. But right now, they seem like these massive, huge, uh, dark valleys. But they're not always what they appear. Because God is with you. He's overcoming them through you. You're not alone. He's guiding you in truth. He has the ability, the power, the knowledge, the know-how, and the resources to make it happen. So if you're not in an impossible place, well, I'm sorry for you. But if you're in an impossible place right now, Take heart, because God is at work. He's going to reveal himself in that. It's going to build your faith. It's not only going to build faith, it's going to be testimony. Other people will be around. How on earth did you make it through that? You'd be like, I don't know, only God. Because he's real. I find that really encouraging. And so for you, how do we carry this with us? How do we have this joy that the world can't crush from us? How do we live this out and practice the truth of God's presence and his power and truth in our lives? Well, take your connection card out. I always think of some next steps for you. And the first one is this, is why don't you memorize Psalm 3421? I already, you even said it with me this morning and it was fun and refreshing to say, wasn't it? Right, to to be strong and courageous, right? To take heart, all of you who put your hope in the Lord, Maybe this is where you begin because your troubles today seem too big, too broken. You can't see a way out. Put your hope in God. This is where you begin. And if you're putting your hope in God, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to ask him for his truth. I'm going to lean into what God has for me, and I'm going to pursue that even if it makes no earthly sense. This is where that next step takes you. So maybe this is where you begin. Next thing you might want to do is read Acts 1 through 5 because this is history. This is what actually happens. The same God of Acts 1 through 5 is the same God of Estes Park right now. He's the same God who's at work in your life right now. If you want to see how God the Holy Spirit works, the power that he has, that his competency and his love, maybe you should read how he's done things in the past so you can remind him so you can see what he can do for you. And it'll be encouraging for you. Next thing I'm going to invite you to do is to love and obey Jesus. First one is to love him. Maybe if you've never come to that point that you say, God, I want to I wanna play be faithful to you, right? God, I wanna I wanna not do more than just be afraid of you, but actually there's a value in you, God. <laughs> You're worthy, and the world is broken, and that's why I'm grateful that I have a savior and I wanna love you, right? Then you mean you start there. But that has to go into obedience. If you want to love God, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands, you will do what I say. Because well, we trust that he loves us. God's not going to tell you to do things that are going to destroy you, so trust him. So maybe right now, you'd know, right, There's the Holy Spirit, who's inside of you, convicting of, of those things, be grateful. He's, he's advocating on your behalf. But there are sins that you need to set down, lay aside, say, God, I'm turning towards you. Have the courage to lay those down. You're like, but I don't have the power to lay it down. God does, and he's in you, so trust him. For so this week, maybe it's that first step. He doesn't love you more because you sin less right? He just loves you. He's going to set you free. He's going to bring you on an exodus from the sin and the brokenness and the things that have kept you hurt and in shame. He is powerful. So maybe this week, this is what you commit to. I'm going to love you, God, and I'm going to follow what you have to say. And very specifically, there might be something that you said, this is how I need to follow you. Maybe for you, that's to be baptized as disciples. We're like, uh, what once we do to be saved, right? Well, what do we do to follow God? Well, repent, right? We, we turn away. I think Jesse did a phenomenal couple of series that really talked about repentance a lot. Let me talk about the next step is that baptism, right? As we turn to him, baptism is that, that next step. It's that, re- that cleansing of the spirit. It's that reminder that we're born again. It's this amazing uh, step. We say, God, I'm all in. That's why you go all the way under the water, right? This is an amazing thing. And if you need to take that next step, to say to God, I, this makes no sense to me and it's awkward and I'm going to be embarrassed. Okay, big deal. You need to take that next step to say, you know what? I would like to at least find out what baptism is about. Join the class. And we'll talk about those and we'll help you take that. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never actually given your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's where you have to begin, right? That's that first step of repentance. That's that turning to God. Just saying, you know what? I'm done trying to overcome this world on my own. It's too heavy. It's too much for me. If you need to, to be saved by God's grace... Your faith, that I invite you. Why would you leave today without taking that step? And if that's you, let me know. Uh, but come talk with me. As your as a pastor, my joy is to help you uh grow up in now I'll answer your questions, but take those steps of faith. Not just be born again into the kingdom, but to grow healthy in that kingdom. Right? So but maybe that's where you begin. There's maybe something else that you need to do. Uh there's another line there. Let me know because I'll as your pastor I'll be praying for you. Um, and there's a prayer request, write that down. And here in just a couple seconds, we're going to take our offering. What I'd like for you to do is take those connection cards, right, with those commitments which are your first offering of God, the offering of your spirit. Drop those into the, in the basket along with your, your tithes and your gifts, right? Make that another expression of your faithfulness to the Lord. All right, let me pray for you as we, we make these next steps of commitment. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your love and your goodness. Father, I pray your blessing over each one who is here today. Uh, they have come this morning to worship you and to, he, uh, to center their lives around you. And we're so grateful we're reading your word that, that we don't just to get to come near you, but you come near us. In fact, that you will enter us and dwell with us and never leave us or forsake us. That we don't just to, to have you know uh, a secondhand help, but we have your own personal presence dwelling inside us, helping us handle every single moment of every single day. You hear every prayer those spoken and those even in our heart because you're present and you're powerful and you have the ability to do the impossible and Father for for those that are here today that their hearts are so heavy and they just feel like there is just no hope Father I I pray that you would raise them up in hope help take their eyes off the impossible task before them and back onto you the God who does the impossible Father I pray that you would work through the pain and the brokenness and and, and the fear Father and you would instead uh, use those those emotions and those difficult things to, to bring about glory for you as you redeem your people even those that are here this morning Father that you would work in our lives I pray for a spirit of faithfulness Father a spirit of love for you to grow and swell in our hearts that, that wherever we started this morning that as we leave today we'll walk a little closer to you Father and for those that have a sin in their life that they need to repent from to lay down to turn to you to walk in obedience the Father God I pray that you give them the courage this morning to lay it down and lay it fully down Father and that you would redeem them and, and, and you would uh, set them free and exodus from the sin and Father, into the promised land of your goodness and your, and your help. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would empower this church to do the impossible in our lives and this community for your glory. And Father, with that I pray that you would take our, our prayer requests, our tithes, our offerings and our commitments this week to build your kingdom in our hearts and our lives in this church and in this community so that the world will know that you are God and that you are good. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus.